Good morning, everybody. So if uh, you didn't already know, Jen and I are kind of switching places today. So I get to be the announcements lady, and she gets to bring it, uh, which yesterday was kind of amazing because um, she, you know, she's been prepping the message all week, and she was finishing up yesterday, and she wanted to get out in the beautiful weather, so she's sitting outside on our back patio with her laptop finishing off this message, and I'm mowing the lawn so she's got the lawnmower. The kids are playing dominoes. Keller, Kate, and Brooklyn are playing dominoes. And every time, you know, sorry, every time Keller does well, he's like, yes! And then the neighbors, they're cleaning, uh, they're doing their thing in their yard. They're doing some yard work, and they got music blaring. And so Jen's prepping her sermon. She's in that spot with Jesus. And they've got Highway to Hell blasting. And Jen's like, this is spiritual warfare. It's spiritual warfare. (laughs) But she battled yesterday, and she's going to bring it today, and I'm excited for that. So I got a couple of announcements. First of all, um, next, on on July 10th, so two weeks from today, we're having our all-church barbecue. So we've been talking about community around tables, and we're going to practice community around tables. And we're so excited for that. So that's from 5.30 to 7.30. We're doing a barbecue. Hopefully, weather permitting, we're outdoors for that. And it's going to be awesome. There will be a kids program simultaneously with that. So the kids will have pizza and a movie. Um, And so they will be fed. Everyone will be fed. um, And it's going to be an awesome time. What I would say about that, too, is this would be a great time. If you have somebody in your world that you're thinking, I would like them to meet my Brookview family, And maybe they would be interested in coming to church with you, or maybe you think they wouldn't be interested in that, but they'd just be interested in coming and eating some food and hanging out with some people. This would be a great way to sort of connect them to the Brookview family. People that will be sitting around their table will have some questions for people to talk about so that it's not too awkward, and they're just kind of talking about life a little bit, talking about values and all that. It's going to be fantastic. So can't wait for that. If you're somebody who's going, I'd like to help in some way. Is there something I can do to help? Yes, you, we need help with setup and teardown. And um, you can just go to your online communication card, which I'll talk about in a second, and, um, and let us know through your online communication card that you're interested in helping with that. That'd be awesome. Second announcement that I have is soccer club. Yes. And... Um, to be honest, we, we said we weren't going to talk and announce soccer club this morning, and Jen's looking confused right now, but I'm like, because we don't want to talk about it, because you just become like the adults on peanuts, you know, like, wah, 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 because we, we don't want to talk about it too much, but I have to talk about it, because some awesome stuff. Uh, we ch- last, as of about a week ago, we had 142 kids already signed up for soccer club. Most we've ever had is around 150. And so what I want to say is, if you're a Brookview family and you're like, well, I go to Brookview, so there will always be a spot for me at soccer club, sign up. Um, It is possible that we would have so many kids sign up that we run out of soccer field space, and we're not going to just have like 300 kids out there and have it not work well. So if you're a Brookview family and you have not signed up for soccer club because you're thinking, I'm a part of the Brookview family, sign up. Um, Second of all, we, um, we did a little, a little analysis of the 142 kids signed up. That, that covers 77 families, um, and we did a little breakdown on that. Um, 66 of the 77 families are not Brookview families. Yes. So you talk about finding something that reaches into our community and connects with our community. That is awesome. Um, 
And we need volunteers for that all over the place. And we need volunteers because we're gonna, this thing is going to be bigger than it's ever been, which means we're only going to have a certain number of kids in each group, so we need lots of coaches and lots of classes and all that. So we need extra coaches. We also need extra volunteers for all kinds of other stuff. And if you're like, well, I could only come on Tuesday and Friday. We'll take you on Tuesday and Friday. Let us, let us know. You don't have to be there all five days. We're going to do a barbecue at the end of the week over here at church. And um, if you could only help for the barbecue, we would take help for that. If you know how to coach, if you know how to, if you can run the, the store that we do or help with all kinds of little logistics things, we need help, lots of help. There's going to be a lot of kids, which is awesome. Okay, last thing is communication card. So if you want to let us know about anything, whether it's soccer club or if you have questions about the upcoming barbecue or um, you just you have prayer requests or you have something else you want to get in touch with us about, you just go to brickviewchurch.com, click on contact, and then fill out your online communication card and let us know what's, what's going on. So let me pray. Father in heaven, I just thank you for Jen. I thank you for the gift that she is to me. Uh, thank you for the gift that she is to many in this room and online. And God, I just pray that you would fill her with your spirit, you would anoint her, and I pray that you would, for the rest of us, help us to, to calm and settle and be available to hear whatever you would say to us in this time. Um, God, speak to us. We're, we're hungry to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. really peppy music. It like gets me going. I wanted to dance and I refrained, so you're welcome. Um, so for the past six weeks, we have been in this series, Eating and Drinking, and we have looked at the way that the table, so eating and drinking together, was a primary place that Jesus loved, challenged, and included people. We've thought about beginning to use our homes as centers for ministry rather than castles where we go and we retreat from the world. We've looked at the value of including people that are different from us around our tables and not just surrounding ourselves with the comfortable people that we like, that we know believe and act and think just like us. We have looked at the way that Jesus came to pour new wine into us, but in order to receive that wine, we can't try and fit it into these old containers, these old wineskins. We have to let him show us something new. And we've looked at the simplicity of loving our physical neighbors, like listening to their story, sharing our story with them, and then when it makes sense, talking with them about God's story. We've looked at finding regular, rhythmic ways of eating and drinking, or at least connecting with those that are in our inner circle, maybe once a week or once a month, or some other kind of regular, predictable gatherings with our family or our close friends. And then last week, Jason talked about how beautiful it is that no matter our flaws, no matter what our failures might be, through God's unfathomable grace, Jesus always, always reserves a place for us at his table. And all of us have a place at that table if we're willing. Eating and drinking was more than just a way to get nutrition for Jesus. It was one of the most frequent venues that he used for loving, for challenging, and for including people 
And what if we were to do the same? So that's where we've been. And today I want to talk a little bit more about creating intentional time to sit around the table and share life together that we do everyday life with and those that are in our circle of influence and why I think that that is so important and so valuable. Here's a reality that I think most of us are pretty aware of. Our culture is living differently than any generation or culture has lived throughout history. Over the last hundred years, there has been a rapidly growing shift in the way that community is done. Because of developments in transportation and communication, people aren't simply stuck in their little towns where they rarely leave all of their life. Prior to these developments, it was rare to see somebody move more than 25 miles away from the place that they were born, or even travel more than 20 miles from where they were born. So families lived together generationally. Communities grew up and they raised their kids together, and they were in each other's lives for all of their lives. Now, some of you are like, thank goodness, that's not true. <laughs> like, that sounds like Linden, Washington, where I came from. Um, but that is how most cultures lived. But today, a growing number of people can work without ever going into an office. We can travel just about anywhere we want to to spend our non-working free time. Uh, we have access to local world news from anywhere we find ourselves, and we have access to information about what's going on all around us at any moment that we want to see it. We can buy just about anything we want and oftentimes get it delivered on the same day, or heaven forbid, the trying patience of waiting for a two-day delivery. And with all of these advancements that allow us so much more freedom and independence and innovation and opportunity and options than anyone living before us, which, let me just say, I do not think is all bad. I love that Amazon package that comes to me when I order it at 10 and it's there at 2. I, I love all the things. But the reality is that with the growing independence and freedom that we have, there's a shadow side to it. And here's what is notable to me. What researchers say about this moment of time that you and I are living in and that no one is arguing about this finding, we are the loneliest generation that has ever lived. No group of people has faced more extreme feelings of loneliness, depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts and actions than we are right here today. And that finding was before COVID came on scene. But enter COVID and now we're coming out of this season that has likely been more isolating than any of us has ever experienced. And the reality is that our re-entry into community and life together, it's all over the map. For some of you, it's pretty much back to normal. But for many of you and many of you watching at home, you're still having to be really careful and very thoughtful about the way that you engage in life with other people. And since we don't live in a village or a small town context with a tight-knit community that everything centers around, 
deep, authentic community just isn't set up for us the way that it was for past generations. We can't simply walk out the front door and have people living and doing life right in front of us while we're sipping our lemonade. Instead, we have high amounts of independence and autonomy. We pull into our driveway, we open that garage door, we close the garage door behind us, we tuck away into our residences with our little family or our roommate or whomever we live with, or maybe we even live alone. And we stare at little screens to see what all the other families or friends are out there doing. And then we make dinner for just us. And Jason shared a couple of weeks ago that we average about 12 minutes around a table together with the people that we do everyday life with on the rare occasion, the rare night when we're actually able to get around a table. Research suggests that many people have traded dinner tables for couches and even their bedrooms where everyone can be watching their own show or continue their independent video screen activities on their own. I was like, oh, you eat in your bed? I was like, that's no judgment. I just don't want crumbs. I just, I'm a messy eater. I'm like, I think some people are more skilled at eating than I am when I think of the reality of eating in my bed. Um, okay, go on. I read an article this week um, on the reality that gathering around a table is becoming much less regular thing. And it pointed out some reasons why. And I think you see this, and I think it exists for you in your family dynamic. Many families have both parents working. So takeout several nights a week is pretty common. And we often consume that takeout on the drive home instead of at the table together. Youth activities. Those keep us going and on the go during dinner hours. To add to our busy schedules keeping us from being able to eat and drink together, the layout of the modern home is also cited as a factor. Design trends have traded the dining room for an open floor plan, and it oftentimes has a bar with stools, and that becomes the preferred space to eat our meals. So side-by-side -side eating replaces face-to-face -face connection. Eating and drinking together as a family or a group of people living together is becoming increasingly uncommon. And so is inviting people into our spaces. But I have seen in my own family and with other people that intentional, strategic, and rhythmic times around the table is one of the ways that we can create opportunities for connectedness and fight off this pervasive cultural reality of loneliness and isolation that we feel and that is all around us. See, we all have to eat, right? It's a rhythm that God designed our bodies for. And whenever we can, we should try to do it with other people, even if it isn't easy, and even if it doesn't feel natural to us. Gathering around a table and sharing a meal is an incredible way to fight loneliness within you, but it's also an incredible way to give connection and life to other people. And I think that it's one of the major ways that we can partner with God to combat the disconnection and the loneliness that is in our world. Living connected lives that are not marked by loneliness 
It's something that God wants desperately for us. It's part of his design for us living our best life. Genesis 2.18 says that after God created the first person on the earth, Adam, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. So let me tell you my hopes for us here. What if by dedicating ourselves to time around a table, we could somehow trade lonely and isolated lives that experience brief bursts of connectedness for truly connected lives that only know brief bursts of loneliness? What if we could do that? And, and what if we could offer that to others? So with the rest of the time that we have this morning or whenever you happen to be listening to this, I want to break this down into two main opportunities and then unpack them a little bit. The first would be eating and drinking with the people that you live with or you regularly do life with. This can be your immediate family, could be your extended family, it could be roommates or close friends, and it can even be the lunchroom at your place of work or at your school. I mean, I know school's out, but think back. Whenever, wherever you are that you regularly need to eat, let's think about that moment. And then the second is sharing your table with people that you don't know that well, but you're wanting to make an investment in or get to know them a little better. Okay, eating and drinking with those you live with or do everyday life with in some way. Why is sharing a meal and sitting around the table important. I don't know where to start. Literally, I was like, I, don't, I know it's important. I gotta break this down some. So here's a lame attempt to tell you why I think it's important. There are so many things that can happen at the table. For young children, they can learn self-control when they've finished their food but need to wait until others are done before they get down. We all learn better manners and get a chance to practice them. We learn how to talk to each other. We learn about each other. We have the opportunity to be known and then to know each other. We get to share our values and learn new ones. When a conversation is present and ideas are being shared, we can learn critical thinking skills. And I think time around, gathered around the table is a natural environment for discipleship even. In Matthew 28, there's a passage that I think we're likely pretty familiar with. And it's this moment when Jesus, Jesus is having after he has risen from the dead and he's spending some extra time with his followers, with his disciples. And he's standing there with them about to go back up into heaven. And he says to them, and then consequently to us as his followers, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And when we read that, maybe when I read that, it can often lead to thinking about the idea of making disciples of the nations as something that we do outside of our home or somewhere far beyond, like traveling to remote places and sharing the life and the teaching of Jesus. And while I really do think that is an important part of that verse and a really, truly worthy pursuit, I think one of the main arenas for me to make disciples has been to share the goodness of God and how he's at work in my life with the people that I live with. 
What if one of the greatest arenas for influence and discipling that we can have begins with those who are right in front of us? The people who live with us under our roofs, our roommates, our spouses, our children, those are our primary arenas of influence. And every mission field that we desire out there and that impact that we want to see out there ideally begins with the stewardship of what we've already been given right in front of us. Eating and drinking with my family gathered around the table, it has been a fertile ground for discipleship in our home because the table creates opportunity for conversations. Sometimes they might be deliberate. Sometimes they might be a little bit difficult. But most of the time, they're just natural and they're organic, where we get to process life together and spend time being really curious about each other's lives. Last weekend, I was at an event, and there was a dad that I was talking to who had kids about our kids' age, um, which most of you know, we have two adult kids, Kate, who just moved back home after graduating from college this spring and is currently on crutches after an ACL surgery repair. I know. And she's killing it, you guys. She's good at this whole surgery thing. Yeah. She's doing leg lifts on her own. It's just great. So, um, and then we have Cameron, um, who lives in Haiti. And we have Brooklyn, who just got done with her freshman year in high school. And ladies and gentlemen... Brooklyn took it to the streets this week. She has her permit, and she's a good driver. That's what Dad says. He's a good teacher. I'm out. I don't do the driving. I, I can make a meal. I cannot sit in a passenger seat with anyone. I just, like, I love my children, and that will not be good for any of us. So... All right, so that's our little family. But okay, so I'm talking with this dad, and he was talking to me about parenting. And he was expressing this kind of, it felt like a little bit of regret or disappointment. And he said, I just haven't been able to tell my kids all the things that I would want to tell them. There's just so much that I feel like I haven't taught. And it is quite likely that I misunderstood. But it seemed like he was saying, there just wasn't enough time over the years to sit them down and tell them all the things that I wanted to tell them. And it was this idea of parenting being about the important values and beliefs and ideas and instruction given in a sit-down, lecture, talk-out-you kind of way. And of course, since I was thinking about this message and the idea of sitting down together around the table, it got me thinking about how many nights at the dinner table with my kids over the the many nights have allowed me in a really natural, non-lecture way to parent them. I've had the chance to share about how I think about things and the way that I view the world. I've gotten to express the important things I'd want them to know about themselves and about God and about his love and his desire for them. And they've happened pretty naturally and organically around a table. And I just feel like the table has been this beautiful and powerful opportunity to express values over the years. And as we have decompressed life together around a meal, in my parenting journey, there haven't been very many times where I feel like we need to set aside a special one-on-one moment with the kids that's a lecture or a big talk. Because for the most part, we have been having 
all kinds of really important talks for a really long time at an age-appropriate way, in a rhythmic, natural way, sitting around the table. And I will always love the table for that because it has been one of the biggest tools for Jason and I to disciple our kids. And we've even discipled each other over the years. In our family, gathering around the table has been one of the many ways to live out this instruction that was given to the Israelites, but it was one for me to heed too. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. The table is one of the main mechanisms for us to share values and life and process the world together because values are generally caught more than they're taught. So people have to see them lived out and they have to hear about them talked about in a variety of contexts. And so I just think that the table is such a great tool and opportunity for that. I am guessing that you can actually figure out how to gather people around your table, so we don't need to go over that, but I just want to throw out a couple of things um, to think about as you are thinking, hey, maybe I want to do a little bit more of that, or I want to continue in it, and I want it to be um, next level. Uh, Commit to it. Commit to it, even when it's really tough. For us, it's been a commitment to eating together every night of the week that it is possible. And maybe for you that'd be breakfast or a late night snack or dessert together. For our family, for us, it's dinner. It just happens to be dinner. And over the years, we've had to be really creative and really intentional because there were seasons where different sports or practices didn't allow us to eat at a decent time. So we decided in those seasons that we would have this grand snack before where everyone's on their own. I don't care what you're eating. It can be 80 million goldfish crackers, but have enough to make it through your your practice. Um, And then we will have a light dinner together at 8.30 p.m. Okay, that's a little bonkers. I know that. But in certain seasons, if, if being together was a priority and it was important, that was the only way that it was going to happen. And so we would just simply set up a time with every new sports season or new schedule that came out or headed our way. We had just set a time that worked for everyone to be present. And then we'd do everything that we could to protect that. We didn't put meetings over top of it. We tried not to do, oh, hey, by the ways at all. We just went, that's our time together. And then um, it wasn't always possible every night of the week and it definitely wasn't easy to figure out but over the years you guys we have logged a lot of hours around our table and it has been just so so worth it another thing keep it simple keep it simple if cooking isn't your forte you don't have time to prepare a meal simply do what you can or whatever you feel like you're able to do Buy a rotisserie chicken at the grocery store and a prepackaged salad and those sweet Hawaiian rolls that everybody loves, right? Remember, guys, that was a staple for us for a while. It's like we were busy, and it was like all I could do is get that $5 chicken and get the salad, and and here we are because that's what was going to work. Pick up Chick-fil-A. Sacrifice some of the quality by eating around the table and waiting 
I mean, your fries might be a little cold. It'll be worth it. If you have a picky eater, this is a chance to offer some new things for them to try in an environment where they can be totally celebrated for what they're doing. When Jason and I got married, uh, I became a stepmom to the sweetest little boy named Drew. Um, many of you don't hear much about him because it was when, um, because when he was 13 years old, his mom decided to move to Arizona. And there's just kind of a story of heartache and, and grief that's real and might be appropriate to share on a different day. But man, did I love that little boy. I loved him. And Drew was four years old when Jason and I got married, and he only liked chicken nuggets and mac and cheese. That's all. That was it. And when he was at our dinner table every other weekend, um, we created a Tasty Club sticker chart. <laughs> and every time he branched out and took a bite of something new, he got a sticker. And when that chart was filled with stickers, he got the reward of choosing anything new that he had tried for dinner that he liked or a trip to his favorite place, McDonald's. <laughs> and it was pretty cool and rewarding to see him try new things and to learn that he was capable of eating more than just chicken nuggets, french fries, and mac and cheese. Um, and so that was just kind of something that, that we learned at our table. Another thing, get help. Get help. You can initiate initiate setting aside the time, but getting food on the table, that can be a team effort. Maybe it doesn't have to all be on you. Invite your kids to help you if they're able and they're capable of doing that. Maybe teach them to make mac and cheese with some hot dogs thrown in. <laughs> I, I actually can't believe I had that idea because I just don't like hot dogs. That just whoa, that sounds so gross, but guess what? I would do it. I would do it if it meant sitting at the table because you might actually get to sit down together around a meal that they're proud of. They might be excited to participate in that meal and some really cool things could happen over time. And maybe I'm just shooting the moon here, but what if they became a little more confident in the kitchen and they could br branch out and learn a life skill? I know a family at Brookview that signed their kids up for cooking classes. Like, what a great idea for a family with two working parents to get the kids trained in helping out with that day-to-day -day task that you have. Whatever you do, keep it simple. Keep it as simple as works for you. Don't make it an overwhelming, exhausting production, or you'll be very much less likely to make that a priority and to believe that it could actually work to get everyone around the table. Another thing, make it communal. Make it communal. Whenever it's possible, serve your food family style. So pass it around and wait until everybody has their food before you start eating. As some of you know, I have spent time every year for more than, I guess, 25 years where I get to spend one week as a counselor at a leadership camp for high school students. And these students, you guys, they, are, they come from all over Washington State. They are some of the best and the brightest. They're high capacity. They often have high capacity families. They're leading in some way in their schools. It's like the ASB presidents and their leadership teams that come here for training. And every night, the entire camp gathers together in the dining hall around several 
It's like 25 cafeteria tables where there's 12 people per table for a family-style meal. And it is always just a bit shocking to me how unfamiliar this practice of passing food around and making sure that everyone has food before you start eating is for these students. I mean, it just seems like this is an arena of others' minded living that's just kind of lost. And it's not like they're trying to be selfish and rude. I had this one girl who shared after about the third day that she was so hungry. I'm like, why? And she said that she had only eaten salad each night at dinner because it was the only dish sitting in front of her. I was like, oh, oh my goodness, you poor little thing. Like, pass the food around. Like, that lasagna at the end of the table is actually available for you if you ask for it. But this is just, it's just a lost thing. Um, But family-style dining is an opportunity to be servant-hearted. It's an opportunity to think of other people to be patient. I mean, that's just to name a couple of things. All right, another thing. Practice good manners. I need to remember that. (laughs) Like, the things that you would want them to do if they were to find themselves at somebody else's table. Things like chew with your mouth closed. Don't talk with food in your mouth. Don't hunch over your plate like, ooh, I'm guarding it. Like, someone's going to come in and take a a bite out of it. Um, How do you properly cut your food? The table is such a great chance to teach some life skills and to help people be confident at some other tables that they might find themselves sitting at someday. All right, invite God to your table. Invite God to your table. When you gather together, challenge yourselves to take turns praying for your meal and inviting God to your table in your conversation. It's kind of a cool thing. Um, those are just a few things. I know they aren't rocket science, But I point them out because I just think the table is a training ground for so, so much. So you have your food on the table. Everybody has food on their plate. You have prayed. It is time to dig in and connect. And here's the last thing. Engage in being curious with each other. Focus less on the food and more on the people. Ask questions. Share your life. Share your day with them. Ask them what they think about something that happened in your day. Tell stories. Let them share stories. Laugh with each other. And sometimes you might even get to cry together. And when you come to the end of eating your meal, try to have everyone sit at the table until everyone's finished eating, which is a long time for my family because apparently I'm very slow. (laughs) They probably get an award. They're all amening in the row. Um, Okay, I am not sharing any of this stuff to make our family look perfect or to somehow signal that we have it all figured out. I share it because time around our table has just been so special to me. And I want other people to have it and to experience what we've experienced simply by showing up night in, night out. Not every meal will be revolutionary, but over the long haul, I can pretty confidently promise you It will be worth it. Yesterday, I sent an email to my kids, and I asked them if they would be willing to answer three questions about our table gatherings. They had no idea what I was going to be saying about why the table is important, and it was super cool for me. So I'm going to spoil myself by reading these to you guys here. Um, Okay, and I included Kate's boyfriend, Keller, 
because he's actually our boyfriend. <laughs> and um, he is in charge of getting us napkins for the meal. So he has a designated space at the table. And when he's not at the table, we often have no napkins, you guys. And when we're messy, we're like, dang it, where's Keller? Like, he's totally shirking his responsibility. So here's what I asked them, three questions. What's something you like about sitting around the table together? What's something that would be missing if the table was gone from our family rhythm? And then why have you made dinner time a priority? All right, what's something you like about sitting around the table together? Keller says, laughter and a sense of belonging. Brooke, I love feeling like I'm a part of my mom's, dad's, sister's, brother's, and anyone else at the table's lives and I feel like they're a part of mine. So whether that's telling stories or jokes or hearing about the crazy lady at QFC, I know what's going on with everyone and they know what's going on with me. Cam, it's a super non-confrontational, inviting space where I can let my guard down and feel heard while getting to listen to others as well at the same time. Kate, I like that the table is a sacred space where we're able to know each other and be known by each other. The food is delicious. Thanks. <laughs> we always have Huguenin juice. If you know, you know. And mom takes a while to eat, so we sit together for a long time. <laughs> we have made a lot of memories at the table, and because of the table, our lives are consistently intersecting. What's something that would be missing if the table was gone from our family rhythm? Keller, a routine reminder of how far it is humanly possible to step over the line when it comes to crass jokes. <laughs> so that one's on me. It's not on your pastor. <laughs> I told you that we weren't perfect. I kind of act like a middle school boy at the table sometimes. Just because you think it doesn't mean you have to say it. That's what I'm learning at the table. Okay, Brooklyn says, I think our family wouldn't be very connected if we didn't sit around the table together. A lot of times dinner doesn't last 20 minutes or just the amount of time it takes to eat our tacos. Dinner lasts until everyone is done, and that can take a while. <laughs> There's a theme. And it, and it lasts until we have to be done. If we spent none of that time together, I think we wouldn't be nearly as connected. Cam says, we'd be missing out on a built-in time to do life together, growing up in a family where it was always a priority and then moving into a culture where it's not, where that is not how dinner is often done, has been really tough. It makes you have to think outside the box to have daily community. Having that be worked into my daily routine helped me thrive. Kate says, being able to process what's going on in our lives, and not only the day-to-day -day stuff, but the big stuff too, like faith and politics and navigating relationships. Why have you made dinner time a priority? Kate, because I love sitting and chatting with my people. That was what I most looked forward to whenever I came home from college, the chance to sit around and talk about anything and everything and laugh together. Keller. It allows a space to connect with the people closest to you, be part of something bigger than yourself, and to outsource the problem of your sanity to people who might not judge you, possibly for, who might judge you possibly for good reason. And that's a quote from Jordan Peterson. 
a book he's reading, and I know about that because of the table. Um, <laughs> Brooklyn says, I have made dinner a priority because number one, my mom makes very she put it in all caps, good food. Number two, I love listening to stories about people's days, telling them about my day, talking about the Mariners, and laughing so hard that I have to spit out my drink. Oh yeah, that reminds me, number three, peach tea. That's Hugan and Juice. Cameron says, because it's one of the places that I experience the most joy and peace. I love getting to talk about nothing or about things that really matter, but just letting conversation flow naturally. Getting to share and hear what the people are passionate about makes me feel more engaged in their lives. Again, I'm not sharing this stuff to say, look, they're awesome. I'm awesome. Jen's nailing it. She's such a good mom. We're a perfect family because that just simply is not true. I share this stuff to hopefully encourage you, hopefully inspire you, to tell you it's possible possible. There's no magic formula. There's no exact right way to do it. There's just powerful stuff that's possible when we create this rhythm and we guard this space and we stick with it and we make it a priority and we fight for it. Because over the years, it has the potential to create connection, a place of belonging. And you need that. I need that. Our kids need that. Our roommates need that. Our world needs that. It is so important, and it is so incredibly meaningful. All right, Shift, let's talk about welcoming people to your table that you don't know that well, but you're wanting to get to know or make an investment in. I know as we've been in this series, we've talked about the reality that eating and drinking with other people doesn't always have to be in your home. Like, it's cool to connect at a restaurant over coffee, over a crumble cookie. I learned about those. <laughs> Dangerous. Or you can sit around Cold Stone ice cream. That's awesome. And it's a really good thing. And it is so often such an appropriate first step. And you should do it. And you need to do it. And you should feel really good about it. And God can. And he will meet you in it when you're doing it with intentionality and you're partnering with him to invest in others. And I am so super excited about all those times that you're going to have. But I want to throw out the idea of intentionally welcoming people into your home to share a meal. I'm guessing that for some of you, this might be incredibly natural. And for others, you're shifting just a little. There's a little squirmy or you feel like, I just can't. I just can't. For all sorts of reasons, I can't. But let me tell you this, when you welcome someone into your home, there is something special and intimate and just a little bit different about it. In a culture where everyone's home is their castle and we make sure that we keep others on the outside, we have an opportunity to use our homes as lifeboats, as centers of care and hope. At the beginning of this series, Jason talked about our homes being havens for healing, about our homes being outposts for the kingdom and God's work, about loving our neighbor and being wildly hospitable whenever and wherever we can. So whenever you can, if it makes sense for you, invite others to your table. Just like the family table, I think it's a cool way to share life and hope and partner with God to combat the loneliness and the disconnection that is all around us. And God can use us in incredible ways as we invite others in. 
And what if we're intentional, intentional about our tables being a place to draw people to life with Christ? What if our table could be an example of Christ-centered living that looks different and compelling and was done in a highly relational way? What if welcoming people into our homes was a way that we could tangibly partner with God to bring a little bit of heaven to earth for the people that we care about? Man, over the years, we have had in the Huguenin house some really beautiful ways that we feel like God has used us to tell his story of hope and of redemption. Here's a couple of stories that I was just kind of thinking about that are pretty memorable for me. A few years ago, Brooklyn was playing on a th- in a three-on-three three three basketball tournament in Arlington. And all the girls that were on the team kind of lived in the Seattle area. So they're driving north, and the drive home for them was kind of through Muckleteo. And so we thought that it'd be cool to invite the other families over and have dinner with us around the table after they were done with their first day's round of games. And as we sat and visited together, it became pretty obvious that they were just really enjoying being there and getting beyond surface level stuff and talking about their real lives since we often find that what usually happens when we connect with other basketball families is they wanna talk about the basketball success or the score and the coaches and specific plays and how were the referees. But this was just a little bit different. They all shared their story of how they met And we got beyond that surfacey stuff like the coach and the team and the refs. And that night, there was real conversation. And it became obvious that talking with other people like that was not something they did a lot of. And nobody wanted to leave, even though thankfully they eventually did. (laughs) We were like, oh, 8 o'clock is going to come early. (laughs) Um, But since that day, there's been this genuine connection with them anytime we see those parents. And Brooklyn doesn't play on those teams anymore with their girls. In fact, one of the girls' um, families moved away to Cleveland last year, and they reached out to see if we wanted to get together when they come to visit this summer. That is so cool. And it was just a really sweet and special night for us. But I also think it was for them, and it was very memorable. Another cool story is from this past school year. Um, Brooklyn had a friend come home um, from school to hang out, and she happened to be at our house long enough to stay for our dinner time. And we have known this girl and her family since they were in elementary school, and they are, they're amazing people. They're super invested in their kids, and we just we really like them. Um, but the other day, Brooklyn told me, and I was just kind of taken aback and surprised by this, that her friend told her that she was shocked to be sitting around the table and talking with everyone for such an extended time at dinner, and that she thought that that was something that only happened in movies and not actually in real life. And she wanted to know, do you actually do that all the time? Because that was really cool. I'm like, oh my, that's cool. All right, last story. Another occasion, several months ago, we had, there's a theme, one of Brooklyn's friends over and her family. Okay, your kids are great opportunities to meet new people. (laughs) Uh, We had one of Brooklyn's uh, friends and her family over from her basketball team. And I don't remember why this was the way that it was, but we'd finished dinner and the mom and I were in the living room setting out dessert while our husbands were maybe doing the dishes. 
Oh, Jason's nodding. That's a yes. He was doing the dishes, um, and they, the guys were visiting with each other in the kitchen. And this woman, she just started asking me about church. So I told her where it was, like, oh, well, we meet in Briar, and cute little white building and I told her that we love what we get to do for work and how much that I like the people that I get to do work with and and then she shared with me like this feeling of guilt that she had that she'd never really gone to church or taken her daughter to church and that her husband had a Catholic background but she wouldn't ever want to do that and then she just point blank asked why would you want to start a church I was like whoa this is a first date. Uh, but she was so curious about this, the life that we live in, and she just couldn't not talk about it. So no matter how many times I tried to steer the conversation somewhere else and focus on her and her story, she was intent on knowing mine. So I just kind of jumped in with both feet. I was like, sh I shot up a little prayer, you guys. I shot up a little prayer, and I was like, God, I have no idea what to tell her. I'm going to need a little bit of help here because I'm going to biff it. Uh, this is like her moment and my moment. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I just got all angsty. Um, but I just kind of, I felt this sense, like maybe what you might call a whisper. Tell her the truth. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, so I did. I did. I told her why following the way of Jesus was beautiful for me and that it was life-giving, and it was filled with purpose, and that, that I can mess up, and I don't have to be ashamed about that, because God is rooting for me, and he loves me, and I love the idea that I get to spend my life helping other people find the same thing, and I was kind of, <laughs> and she just got choked up, and tears started flowing out of her eyes, and she said, that is really beautiful, that is really beautiful, and then just as quickly as the moment was there, it was gone. And the conversation shifted about a million other things, some of them about what she thinks about God and church people and some just about life. And Jason and her husband eventually joined us and we ate dessert and we talked a lot more and then we said goodnight. And I don't know where that conversation might pick up again or if it ever will or how God might use that night in her life or if there will be future nights. But in that moment, that was a really cool and special night for me because I got to remember why I do what I do and how much I love it. And I had to be brave in talking about it. And I was able to share it with someone that was open to hearing. And it was cool. I could probably go on and on and on and on and on with the stories of people that we have sat around our dining room table with and even how we have had the joy and we have had the privilege of sitting around many of your tables as well. But we would be here all morning if I did do that, and I'm not sure the air conditioning will do as well in our afternoon heat. So um, I'm just going to shift into what do you think might be some of the things that would stop us from having people around our tables? I mean, outside of the reality that life is busy and it's tough to find people, find time with the people that you live under the same roof with, let alone trying to get two family schedules together. Maybe some of you, though, aren't inviting people in because you don't feel like your house is good enough. But can I just say, you don't have to have a perfect home and a perfectly cooked meal and a place setting that would make Martha Stewart envy you. Like, let's get rid of that goal. Like, throw it away. And instead, 
intentionally set aside some time to clean up your house enough that you and the people that you're inviting in feel comfortable, serve a meal that's doable for you, and then simply be you, be present, and don't sweat the small stuff. Like, don't let it get in the way of inviting people in. And if you feel like things are too cluttered in your house and you don't have time to clean it all or find places for it all, I'll share a hot tip with you. Swipe it all into a bin and set it out of sight. Like, put it in another space. Your kids will likely show you, show your guests that room and you will probably be embarrassed, but you'll also be real. Not that I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> had a few bins in our house be uncovered by the guests. I'm like, well, <laughs> we are busy. All right. The reality is that hospitality and inviting people into your home, it takes practice. Like, I don't think it's a spiritual gift that you either have or you don't have. The reality is some of us might be more inclined toward it than others. But I like to think of it as a muscle. Okay? It needs to be exercised. It needs some repetition, and it will grow. Hospitality takes practice, but it can be done. So if this isn't a super comfortable idea for you, let me give you a few ideas that hopefully will make you feel like it's a little bit more manageable to step into and exercise that muscle. Okay, make a simple meal to start with. What's a family favorite? Like, what is everyone sitting at your family table like? Serve that. What's simple, what has wide appeal. You don't have to take on a new recipe or have your table setting look like a five-course meal straight out of a cooking magazine. It's perfectly okay to serve a Costco lasagna or fried chicken or Thai takeout. That's really okay. It's not about the food. It's about the people at the table. Include other people in helping. Make welcoming people into your home a team event. A few days before, come up with a strategy. We need to clean, we need to shop, we need to prepare. Get the whole house on board and let everyone contribute. Share the goal or the why. Okay, talk with your family or your roommates. Tell them the why behind your night so that they can get excited about it with you. Maybe we want to get this to know this family because they seem really cool. We're going to have this family around our table because life is throwing them some punches right now and they need us. We think this couple is really wise. We want to learn from them. Whatever the reason is, talk about it and then figure out the how. Stay even after the food is gone. Okay, this is my kids' torture. When it's time to sit around the table, since the kids know the why of your gathering, challenge them to sit at the table and listen to the conversation and participate where it's appropriate, but mostly just prepare them to listen. Over the years, my kids have gotten really good at this. But I think that one of the main reasons that they're good at it is because we trained them to do this at the family dinner table. Like, they had a lot of practice sitting at the table and listening to conversation without being the center of what was going on. And of course, you want to do that in an age-appropriate way. For us, we started doing this with our kids when they were in high chairs, if you can believe it. We were like, this is a value that we have. You're going to sit in your high chair. Um, and they learned it. And here's why it was a huge value to us. I think that every one of us learns about conversation and about how to listen well and about participating in a group dialogue by observing and watching it unfold in front of us without having to be directly involved in it. 
All right, so you've invited someone in, you've cleaned up your house, you've done the shopping, you've prepared your meal, and everyone's ready to help you to be hospitable and others-minded. The rest of your night's goal, get curious. Get curious. One way that we can value and love people is to ask them questions about them and truly get to know them. I think curiosity is so important because everyone, including ourselves, longs to be known. Have you ever been in a social situation where someone talked only about themselves and they never asked you about you? Like, so funny. I that same leadership camp, I was meeting this junior counselor that I was going to be working with for the week, and he was t- I was asking him questions all about him. It was a get-to-know-you time. He didn't ask me a single question about me. And so I started offering some things to him, like, you know, I, I'm married, and I have three kids, and he would say, I know. <laughs> I was like, oh, may- well, maybe he's just really nervous. And so then I'd offer the next piece of information, I know. So finally I paused. I was like, So how do you know? He's like, I Googled you. (laughs) Like, this wasn't like a long time ago where I didn't even, I was like, oh my goodness, who am I on Google? Like, um, so that was interesting to find. It's mostly just church stuff. Don't worry. (laughs) Nothing too juicy. No. Okay, but in those situations, though, when someone is like talking all about themselves and they never ask you about you, I often have to stop myself from trying to insert things about myself because like I want them to know me and I want them to know what I think about things and what my story is. So hopefully you will get to gather people around your table that also want to know you back and ask you questions too. But we should lead the way in making sure that we get curious about them first. Um, This is one of the things that I really admire and respect about Jason and sitting around a table with him. Man, he is so good. You're so good at asking questions. I mean, I think he could probably spend the entire night asking really great questions without that ever being reciprocated. He's just really good at being curious about other people, and I have learned so much from him. And so maybe for some of you, this doesn't come very natural for you. Like, you might be thinking, what if I run out of questions to ask and it's really awkward? Just end the night. I'm kidding, kidding. The reality is, you guys, that might happen, but it's not the end of the world, and it's not all on you. Good conversation really is a two-way street, and it takes practice, so they might be a little unskilled too, and you can figure it out together and get awkward laughs going together. Maybe you want to keep a question book nearby or Google icebreaker questions from the internet and take turns reading them. Okay, yeah, that seems awkward, but you will start talking at least instead of staring at each other. Maybe you can like say, oh, here's a little fun thing my kids like to do. We like to practice reading. Give them the list of questions. Have the kids throw it out to people so it seems like you know it's a fun kid activity. Um, but if we get curious about the people sitting in front of us and if they become curious about us, we get to share what we value what we care about, and we are so often getting the opportunity to share the message of Jesus. And our tables can be opportunities to share his good news. And I think that the message of Jesus sometimes goes out best through questions. Like it's how he did it. He asked people questions. He invited them to meals. He got to know them. He listened to them, and he told them about the hope that was available to them, and they in turn asked him questions. 
This verse in 1 Peter 3.15, it's such a good one. Always be prepared to answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You see, when we share the truth of who we are, what we value, in the flow of a good conversation, we don't have to push faith on anybody. We're simply sharing who we are as they ask us questions, and there can be some really cool opportunities. So I want to ask you, who can you invite to your table? Maybe it's somebody in the same gym that you go to, somebody on your kid's soccer team, someone you've met at church but you don't know that well. Maybe it's somebody in the office. Maybe it's a neighbor, a distant relative. Maybe it's one of your grandkids. It's just kind of like dating. It might be awkward at first. There might be some people that you just don't connect well with. But keep going. Keep doing it. People need this. You need this. I need this. This is a way to share the love of Christ with other people to help them know and believe that they matter and that they're valued. It's a place to learn. It's a place to be known. It just has the potential for so much. To close, I want to share this picture from our dining room. I have a confession. Those and signs are actually backwards in there because I didn't know how to make them, and so I photoshopped it to be the right direction. So I had to confess that because Kate will probably call me out on it later and be like, Mom, that's not what our picture looks like. So I just, I love the sign and I just, I put it up and then I was going to fix it and I just never have because, you know, life. But here's what it says. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And that's from the book of Acts and it's talking about the early church when they sat around tables. And I love this reminder for me. And I have a picture of a pink star. That's the pl- my place at the table on most nights. And um, sometimes while we're eating together, I just glance over at it. And I get to soak in the reality that I'm just so thankful for the life that I have and the people that are sitting around the table with me. And it reminds me that people matter. People matter. And when we sit together, even though not every conversation is filled with holiness, it's not, it is a holy space. And it is a holy act when I surrender it to God. God has been present around our table. And I am so grateful. And I want that for you too. Is it easy? Sometimes. Not all the time. But it's worth it. It is absolutely worth it. Let me close in prayer. God, um, we're a diverse group of people here today. Whether we're gathered here physically or we are watching online. Um, And for some of us, gathering around a table is an old practice. And for some of us, it's newer. But you want to use us. You want to use us no matter where we find ourselves in this practice of eating and drinking together. God, you desire for us to partner with you to bring heaven to earth and, and to care about and to invest in other people. And I can only imagine what delight you take when you see us sitting around tables loving each other and living in connection with each other the way that you designed us to. God, would you help us? 
Would you help us to be catalysts for building families and having friendships where we can thrive together in an environment where love is lived? And will you use our tables to do that? God, will you help us to surrender our homes and our time and our resources to you in order to do it? God, help us to see that every person around us has the potential to come into our lives to change us or even open our eyes to new things and that there might be times when we have the opportunity to do the same. But God, help us extend to others the hope that we have found in you. God, you're good and life with you is our best life possible. Amen.